This morning, I want to preach out of Matthew chapter 1 on a very, um, seems like a, a hidden character in Scripture, especially in the Christmas story. He kind of gets unnoticed a lot of times, overlooked. And uh, I was reading Matthew 1 a few weeks ago, just in preparation. You, you, if you remember, the first Christmas message I preached was actually on Sunday evening a few weeks ago on the challenge of Christmas and uh, the challenges that come with it, especially in the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. And then last week I preached on the star of Christmas, the star that led the wise men to Jesus. Uh, this morning, with God's help, I'd like to preach on the surrender of Christmas. The surrender of Christmas. There's a Bible character by the name of Joseph. Joseph was the stepfather of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, he didn't know at that time, in, in, in verse 18 and verse 19, he, he had not been visited by the angel yet. So there's a lot of news coming into Joseph that's disturbing. If you uh, watch a, a Christmas play, um, you'll see a part of it like a cantata this evening for a little bit. Uh, I, I'm not sure even, I haven't even seen what the cantata is, but uh, if you watch a traditional Christmas play with Mary and Joseph and, and the babe, and then you watch the shepherds and you watch the, the wise men and you see the traditional Christmas play, often Joseph has a part that he doesn't even speak. Uh, sometimes Joseph is just leading a donkey around or he's sitting there by the, by the manger scene and he's looking at the, the babe or maybe they'll have him knocking on a door before they get to, to, the, to the manger scene and he's asking if there's any room uh, for his wife to deliver <clears throat> the Lord Jesus. That's about it. But I believe that Joseph plays a very vital role in this Christmas story. And you're going to see that today in Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to begin in verse number 18. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 18. The Bible says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on the wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, was not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and, thy, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and he took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to preach on this wonderful text this morning. Thank you for the great crowd despite the weather this morning. Thank you for visitors. Thank you for the sweet spirit of God that has visited this place already. Lord, I pray for a few minutes today that you will rest on this place with your presence and may you, uh, Lord, fill me with your spirit. May I not grieve you, Lord. I pray that I not say anything that would be grieving. 
I pray that I'll preach the, the Word of God in the way that you would want me to, to be glorified. And Lord, we'll thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Joseph in our text, if you did not see it, I want to bring that out this morning. Joseph in this text this morning in Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through verse 25 is the model of surrender. Now, I said earlier that Joseph often gets the back seat. He often uh, maybe is a little overshadowed by uh, or, or in the back uh, of the, the, the play or in the back of the spotlight. Uh, maybe Mary gets a little bit more. We know more is said about Mary. We know more is said about Jesus as it should be. And we know that uh, some, of course, uh, put light on the, the shepherds and the wise men and the different ones that are listed in the Christmas story. But Joseph is a model of a man who, in three ways this morning, as I share to you, will be a picture of what we as Christians should do especially around the Christmas season. He is a model of surrender. The first thing that I want to give you this morning in the, in the life of Joseph is this. Joseph surrendered his personal pride. Joseph surrendered his personal pride. Go back with me in verse number 18 if you would and kind of stay along because you'll see some things in our text that I promise you this morning maybe you have never seen before in the Christmas story. And I want you to notice because God brought some things out this week and and it just blessed my heart. Look with me in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on the wise when his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together and she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now I want you to notice that first part. It says that the birth of Jesus was on the wise. So this was the, this is it. This is the time. This is the place that it's going to happen. It's the season. Christ uh, is being born. And then it goes on to say that his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. Now that's an interesting phrase. It means that they were engaged. Now we, we in America, we have what we call an engagement time. And then there's a time period where you're getting ready for the marriage. But that is not the way that it is in Jewish custom. Uh, There was actually three stages to a marriage or three stages to an espousal. And I want to give you those stages in order to understand verse number 18 and the significance of these stages. The first stage of a Jewish marriage was called the engagement. That was the first stage. Let me explain to you what the engagement was. This stage was when the man went out and sold all of his livestock He emptied his entire bank account, sold everything that he had, even the shirt off of his back, and bought a diamond ring for his fiancée. That's actually in America. That's not the Jewish way to do it. That's what we do. Was it worth it, fellas? Some of you are like, I don't know. Oh, now is not the time if she's sitting beside you. I I hope you can say it was worth it. But 2,000 years ago, an engagement was something carried out by the parents. It had nothing to do with really the couple because when they were children, they were, they were younger, their parents would normally pick the spouses for their children. Now, the older my children get, the more I like this idea. Well, this is the way it was in the Jewish custom. The older my kids get, the more I, I like this idea. And many times, the couple never met until the second stage. The second stage is uh, called the 
betrothal, or the, the Jewish term would be the term kedushin. So a betrothal or a kedushin. Now listen to what happened in the second stage of a Jewish marriage. See, the, the formal event considered was a binding by the families. So during this brief ceremony, the, the bridegroom would pay a dowry or a mohar, which was known as a bride price. This would be a, a, a gift or something that would be given to, uh, to solidify this betrothal or this second stage of marriage. It was often paid in cattle or clothing or, or uh, maybe money or maybe all three wrapped in together. And this would be, depending on the wealth of the, of the groom, this would be a, a binding thing. This would actually be considered a couple, a marriage couple. So the dowry was delivered at the betrothal ceremony. It was given to the bride's father to compensate him for wedding expenses. So he could sell some livestock. He could maybe take some money and pay for this marriage ceremony. The condition, though, it lasted one year. 365 days during that period of time, the couple did not live together to to consummate their marriage, but the bridegroom would spend a year getting her home ready for her husband. By the way, the analogies to this of our Lord, our our bridegroom is another study, but 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 I want to say at least that the bridegroom, our bridegroom, paid the price for our sins with his precious blood. He uh, paid it on the cross. He died. He was buried. He rose again. He's left us, but one day he's coming back. And we are the bride of Christ. And there's going to be a time he's went to prepare a place for us and, and he's coming back to get us. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of things in this Old Testament Jewish marriage that we can see the grace of God and the love of God and, and all that he does for the church. And I want to ask you this. Have you accepted his invitation? Have you RSVP'd, uh, an invitation? Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Amen. I hope it is. You see, in Mary and Joseph's day, the condition was binding. They were actually considered a husband and a wife. They were legally married, even though the third stage, they had really not reached it yet. The, the only thing uh, that this betrothal would, uh, would, maybe even death or divorce could take place, even in the betrothal stage. And even if the husband died or the man died, the wife would be considered a widow. That's how, that's how this binding was. So the third stage, what would be the third stage if they were already considered a couple? The third stage is what they call the hoopah or a time of celebration, a wedding ceremony. This ceremony involves several days of feasting and celebrating the goodness of God and establishing another household. So, go back to verse 18. It says, And when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, notice the next part, before they came together, They had not consummated the marriage. They were still in the second stage. They were not living together. They were not being known one another as far as a husband and wife would do. They were not living. They were not doing anything uh, sexual. And here's what happens. Notice in the latter part, she was found with child. 
Now, I want you just for a moment to think about verse 18. If you loved a woman and you were faithful to her and you uh, loved her with all your heart and all of a sudden she comes in one day and she says, Honey, I've got news to tell you. I am having a baby. You automatically would look at her and say, well, I've never knew you. Uh, we're in the second stage of our marriage. I love you, but you have been unfaithful. Now, I know where in my Bible do I read before verse 18 that an angel had notified Joseph. Up until this point, Joseph's heart is broken. He is marrying the love of his life. He is marrying a woman in which he loved and a woman that, that he uh, would give his life for and a woman that he was looking forward to living out the rest of his days with. And now she's expecting a child. Notice verse number 19, the Bible says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. Now notice, just stop right there. We see that the Bible sheds light on the character of Joseph. Joseph was not just a good man. Joseph was not just an honest man. The Bible says Joseph was a just man. The Bible says that he's a righteous man. That word just means that he's righteous. He, he is a godly man. He had an outstanding testimony in the community. And so... Here in verse 19, he's got a woman that he loves, that he's, that he's married to basically as far as, as, as the way the Jews would recognize it. And she's expecting a child. And now his testimony's at stake. Now everything that Joseph has is at stake. He is, he, his name is at stake. And now this woman that he loves is, do I make her a public example? Do I humiliate her in front of all of her people? Do I, I'm humiliated. I'm upset. Do I take my feelings and share them with the world? Well, I believe that Joseph was a righteous man. The Bible says that he's a just man. And with that just, meaning that he has discretion. The word discretion actually means knowing when to keep silent. So in spite of emotion. What a model Joseph is for us that even in this, it is one thing to remain quiet when you're wrong. It is terribly hard to remain quiet when you have been wronged. And it is especially hard to remain quiet when you're right. Joseph could have easily said, Mary's pregnant, she's expecting a child, and that baby is not mine. I've not been with her, I'm a just man. I'm going to go to face Facebook, and I'm going to put it out there. Mary is unfaithful. Mary is expecting a child. That's in modern vernacular, but that's what a lot of people do. They air their dirty laundry, they humiliate others, they don't mind sharing, but here's what they lack. They lack discretion. Mary, he didn't know the whole story. The angel had not visited Joseph yet. I'm not even sure Joseph even believed Mary by verse 19. Matter of fact, I, I don't think he did. But yet, Joseph was her husband and being a just man, according to verse 19, not willing to make her, notice that next phrase, a public example, was minded to put her away privily. I want to say this, that perhaps our greatest test of character is remaining silent rather than being proven right. Joseph, 
intended to quietly break off this betrothal without any public humiliation of Mary, even though it would have been vindicated by his own reputation. The will of God for Joseph involved breaking his heart. Joseph's heart was broken. His pride was crushed. Everything in Joseph, his wife, his his, uh, love of his life has been unfaithful. Joseph was probably that tall at the time of verse number 19. He is crushed. He is broken. But I want us to notice the second thing in Joseph's life. The first thing that he surrendered was his pride. But the second thing is his privacy. Notice verse 20, if you would. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20. So things are not looking good in verse 19. He's debating whether to make her a public example, but he loves her. He don't want to do that. So notice verse 20. But while he thought on these things, so he's pondering them, he's trying to make a decision. Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not. Take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Whoa, verse 20 changes everything. The angel appears to Joseph while he is debating whether to, what to do with Mary. He's like, I love her. I don't want to make her a public example. I'd rather put it away privately. The rabbinical teaching says that he had the choice of, uh, of doing that. He could have put her away privately. He could have divorced her. He could have, uh, could have uh, annulled the wedding, if you will. But verse 20 changes things because while Joseph is pondering in his heart the, the brokenness that he has, The angel comes in verse 20 and says, Joseph, hold on a second. Here's news from the Lord. The baby that Mary has in her womb has been conceived by the Holy Ghost. We know it's not your baby. It was put there by God, conceived by the Holy Ghost. In other words, Joseph even though you want to go back quietly to that life that you once knew, I want you to make a decision that will launch you into the public spotlight for the rest of your life. Your your reputation, you're about to become a stepfather of the Messiah. You are going to raise the Savior. Now think about this. That is a glass house. Amen. I mean, buddy, his life went from obscurity to nobody really knowing who Joseph was, just a carpenter, just a stonemason uh, to you're the father, the earthly father of the Messiah. Moments after the birth of Christ, Joseph gets a taste of how much his life would change. All of a sudden, a bunch of shepherds show up. Who told the shepherds? The angels. I mean, where did you guys come from? How did you know? There was no newspaper there. There was no social media. There was no Instagram. Hey, there was nothing there to to let everybody know. But the shepherds were out there watching the flocks by night and the angel of the Lord showed up and the heavenly host showed up and the shepherds show up and Joseph's like, where did you come from? Think about this. Two years later, some dignitaries showed up from Persia. How did they know? Well, they had been reading the writings of Daniel. Daniel was an astronomer. Uh, astronomer. He was a study uh, or a student of the stars, if you will. And they, uh, Daniel would have been in that time in Babylon. And so those men looked to Daniel and then they looked to some of the Old Testament writings and they said, we're going to follow the stars. I preached last week and we're going to go to the Christ child, a miracle. And so two years later, these dignitaries show up 
I mean, think about it. His life has changed. And we know from Scripture that Joseph was given a revelation from the dreams at least about four times. Three times in three years, Joseph relocated his family. Think about that. Three times in three years, Joseph had to move. Some of you have moved. Some of you have moved in recent days. Think about all the struggles. Think about all the aggravation. Think about all the uncertainty of moving. Some of you, just a year or two ago, maybe even sooner than that, uh, COVID caused a bunch of people to move from different states and move. Hey, you left everybody that you know. You left everything you knew. You come to a place that you didn't know. There's a lot of intimidation, there's a lot of frustration, there's a lot of aggravation, and Joseph did that not once, not twice, but three times in three years. We also know that the first two years of the baby's life, Joseph and Mary were virtually running for their lives. The first two years, if anyone would have found out, especially Herod, that they had given birth to the king of the Jews, the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament, Herod would have tried to kill the baby and would have tried to kill Mary and Joseph. Their lives were in danger. Joseph is moving. Joseph's life that he once had in obscurity, he has now lost all of that. He surrendered his privacy. What a whirlwind for a life. Joseph, that quiet village life that he once knew. Do you remember? Everything that he had assumed about his wife, everything that he had thought that would come true about his wife, even the marriage. He just thought me and Mary will just go get married one day and have children and and that's the way everybody else does it, but that was not the way that God wanted Joseph to be. He surrendered his pride He surrendered his privacy. Often I think that, going back a little bit, I think that we should have conversations with our kids about marriage. Amen. I think that we should teach our children what marriage really is and what marriage really is not. Let me just say this. If you get married just to fill a void in your life, you're doing it for the wrong reason. Can I get an amen? There ought to be more amens than that unless you're unhappily married. Then you're like, uh, you know. If you're just trying to say, well, it'll, it'll bring some happiness, so I'm going to get married, my friend, listen to me. If it's not the right marriage, it will bring misery. Amen. Joseph loved Mary. But this marriage is not the typical marriage. I mean, this thing is not the way it's supposed to be. What I thought was going to be is not the way that it is. It's kind of like that couple that, the couple that was older in years, they had waited with their life as far as their whole life. They had waited to get married. They just never had found that one until they were older in their years. So they, they fell in love and they got married and they uh, you know, had a traditional wedding and man, they were excited and uh, finally they were going on their honeymoon. They reached their destination that night and they get to the room and they're just, you know, they're, they're just tickled to death in their older years. They finally found love and marriage. The wife sits on the edge of the bed. She's getting ready for bed and she uh, begins to unscrew her prosthetic leg. He didn't know she had a prosthetic leg. She opened up the drawer and she screwed, unscrewed that leg and throw it in the dra- threw it in the drawer. She then took her wig off and she threw the wig in the drawer and then all of a sudden she took her teeth out. Oh boy. 
And she put her teeth in the drawer and then she took those fake eyelashes off and she threw them in the drawer and she finally jumped in the bed and pulled the sheets up and he's just standing there looking at her. And she said, well, aren't you going to get in the bed? And he said, well, I'm sitting here trying to decide to get in the bed or get in the drawer. (laughs) You understand, things didn't turn out the way that he had thought. Fellas, if you're dating somebody, you ought to maybe knock on her leg a little bit and make sure it ain't wooden. If it echoes or hollow, then we got a problem. At least you ought to know about it, amen? God's will asks. Joseph's will responds with affirmation. Joseph will sacrifice his pride. He sacrifices his privacy. But there's one more thing. Joseph surrendered his personal priorities. Look with me in verse 21. The Bible says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. The angel is speaking. Now think about this. The angel meets Joseph where he's at and speaks to Joseph. Joseph chose to give his life to caring for Mary and raising a son along with other children who maybe come along later according to the other gospel accounts. And when your son is the savior of the world, how do you act around the savior of the world? This was all unrehearsed. This no doubt in my mind that Joseph would would struggle with a great sense of inadequacy where he's parenting. uh, Think about this. Where's the parenting manual for raising the Messiah? Where's the book that tells you, there's tons of books out there that tell you how to raise children, but where's the book that tells you how to raise the Savior of the world? Some of you say, well, there's books out there. I could write one on raising the devil, right? I hope that's not the case. The way some of you are looking at me like, I know that. But there's no book. Listen, there's no book out there that teaches you how to raise Jesus. Here was a man who had very little. He was a hard worker. Joseph was a a carpenter, a stonemason, a man that worked with his hands, a strong man. He had no formal education that we know of. Yet, he is now responsible to educate the Savior of the world. The greatest teacher that ever lives is now his son. The Jewish customs related to children's education were very clear in Scripture. We know that from a a time that a son was at the age of three years old to a time uh, the son reaches the age of 12 years old, them are formidable years where a parent would teach, a, a dad would teach the customs of Jewish law. He would teach the rabbinical teachings. He would teach all the customs and ordinances and laws of God to his son. And I can imagine Joseph saying, me? Lord, me teaching prophecies of Scripture to the one who who was the fulfillment of Scripture? And the fulfillment of prophecy, you want me to teach the law to the one who is the fulfillment of law? You want me to teach the system of worship and sacrifice to the one who will be the final sacrifice? Lord, I'm inadequate. Lord, I can't... I can't teach these things, but yet God chose Joseph to teach our Savior. 
Some would think that Jesus came pre-programmed with a bunch of biblical things in his mind. But I want to show you a verse that changed my mind about that. Though he is all God and all man, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. I'd never really examined this verse until studying the life of Joseph. It brought a, a light bulb moment in my study. Luke chapter 2, begin with me in verse number 39. Luke chapter 2 and verse 39. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. Now notice, this is Jesus he's referring to. Verse 40, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace was upon him. Can I ask you all a question? Look at me. How in the world does God grow in wisdom? How does God, this is, this is the babe was, was, was God in the flesh, but how does God grow? This is not talking about height. This is not talking about taking your baby to the doctor and weighing your baby to make sure he's growing or she's growing and, and healthy. No, that's not what that verse is referring to. And verse 40 is talking about him growing in wisdom and in stature. And, and he grew in knowledge. You say, Pastor, what, what do you mean? How does God grow in wisdom and stature? I'll tell you how he did it. He had a faithful father who taught him as a faithful father should. Amen. Oh, you say, well, Pastor, I, I thought he was God. No, he was very much God. But he also, God the Father, had chosen an earthly father named Jesus to teach his son the things that he needed to teach because by the age of 12 years old, which I find interesting, just a few, matter of fact, I think the next verse, he's caught in the temple, they're trying to look for Jesus, and they find him teaching the rabbis and the leaders of the temple. Well, who taught Jesus these things? Yes, he knew all things. I, I, I can't wrap my mind around all that, that the Lord Jesus at the age of 12 knew. But I'll tell you what he did know. Joseph and Mary taught our Savior. Mom and dad, can I say this? It's not the church's responsibility to teach your kids doctrine. Amen. I ought to get more amens in the 1030 crowd. I, I should. That 9 o'clock crowd's bouncing off the walls. Let me tell you something. It's not the church's responsibility, sole responsibility to teach your kids how to be a Christian. It's not the, it's not, listen, if you put your kids in a Christian school, it's not the school's responsibility to teach your children how to be a Christian. You know whose responsibility it is? You. If you have children, if you've been blessed to have children, guess whose responsibility it is to teach children? Yours. Joseph, though he, according to a lot of commentators and Bible scholars, Joseph did not live to be an old man. Matter of fact, after the age of 12, we really don't see Joseph's name mentioned anymore. It's basically Mary. I don't know really what happened to Joseph. I, I do believe that he died at a young age. But let me tell you something. Joseph spent his days teaching that boy that he loved. 
And that is a great, that is such a great example for you and I to take what we have, listen to me, to take what we have and to invest in our sons and our daughters the word of God. Amen. Joseph was faithful. Joseph maybe asked the question, why me, Lord? Why did you choose me? You think about this. Joseph of Nazareth didn't have much. He was a hard worker, but no education. He was just a hard, simple man that just, I'm sure, paid his bills and did what he could, but he wasn't a scholar. He wasn't a rabbi. He wasn't anything like that. He wasn't a, a political figure. At the same time that Joseph of Nazareth lived, there was another Joseph that lived nearby. His name was Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea was a very wealthy man. He was, if you remember, Joseph of Arimathea was the one that that had the tomb prepared for Jesus. He got the body off the cross. And and some believe that Joseph might have been related to Jesus in in, in some distant way. Joseph, though, he would have been one. And if we would have said God chose Joseph of Arimathea to to raise Jesus, we would all understand and say, well, he was educated, he was wealthy. That makes sense. But to us today, that was just a common, blue-collar, hard-working man. In our twisted American minds, we just don't, we can't comprehend why God chose a man who had no title, no kingship, no priestship, Know nothing but love for Jesus, love for God, obedience. And let me show you something. You say, Pastor, why did you preach on Joseph this morning? Well, there was two applications that the Lord showed me very clearly that I don't want you to miss today, especially during the Christmas season. Two thoughts that came from my mind while studying Matthew chapter 1. The first thought is this. Please pay attention. The first thought is this. Being in the will of God is not as much a matter of convenience as it is a sacrifice. Being in the will of God is not as much a matter of convenience as it is a sacrifice. Church, have you ever came to the point in your life where you've said, Lord, here I am. Take all that I have, take all that I am, take everything that I have, and Lord, I I want you to use it for your glory. I I was reading this prayer by this old preacher, and I loved it. He said, here, Lord, use my plantation, move into my parlor. You can have my drapes, my silverware, my property. You can have my education to use for your glory. You can have my children, my house. You can have access to my calendar, my schedule, my wallet, or my career. You can have my life. This is the testimony of Joseph. Lord, just take it. Just take it. Use me. I have no education. I have no money. There's a lot more smarter people out here. There's a whole lot more educated people out here. There's a whole lot more people with charisma and, and, and they're flamboyant and they're bombastic and they're all these things. And, and, and Lord, that they'd make much better fathers for baby Jesus than me. But let me tell you something. When God chooses something, his ways are always right. They're always right. 
Are you living a life of convenience where everything has to be convenient? Don't, please don't tell me this, please. Don't come up to me as a pastor and say, Pastor, we love this church. It's just right around the corner and it's the closest thing to the house and we just chose that because it's convenient. No, 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 don't do that. If you have to drive two hours to church, if they're preaching the word and they love sinners, it's worth your drive. Oh, you don't, I realize, thank God if you have a church around the corner. Thank God if it's just in your backyard. Thank God. But let me tell you something. Listen to me. We need to throw convenience out the door and it needs to be sacrifice. If you have to drive a long way, if you have to go through this, if you, I talked to somebody earlier uh, in the back back here, a young man who said, man, I work third shift. He said, I, I work all night and then I come to church. He said, sometimes I, I'll, I, I miss and it's been new to me. He said, but I'm, I'm here. Can I tell you something? It's not convenient for him today, but it's sacrifice. Some of you are tired. Some of you have been sick. Some of you have maybe had a bad week. Some of you have had this. And it's so convenient for you to say, you know what, I'm just going to stay home and I'm just not going to do anything today. I'll watch it on live stream. But can I tell you something? Sometimes God blesses us just for the sacrificial part. It's not convenient. It's not convenient. We need to throw convenience out the window. We need to stop drive through Christianity is killing us where we just drive through and say, it's convenient. I don't want to get out of the car. I, I want to press a button. I want to talk into a speaker. I don't want... Hey, we need to be more sacrificial. Here's the second thing. The second thing is this, surrendering our lives for God to use does not require experience, just obedience. Surrendering our lives for God to use does not require experience, just obedience. How many Goliaths did David kill before he slew Goliath? None. But he obeyed. How many Messiahs did Joseph raise before he raised the Messiah? None. You say, well, pastor, my resume, my credentials... All my things here, they just don't measure up. I just don't think that I'm able to do it. Hold on a second. God's not looking for your experience. God's interested in your obedience. Joseph was not experienced, and best of all, Mary wasn't either. But guess what they did? They raised the greatest son that has ever lived. And you and I need to stop worrying about experience and just start obeying. The pastor asked me to teach a small group or the pastors or, or Zach or, or Jesse's come to me about something that, that I think they can do and I just don't think I can do it. You just stay in your little box the rest of your life because your credentials don't measure up or you can just step out by faith and obey God's word and let him do the rest. Let me show you a verse that just solidifies. Look with me in Matthew 1 verse 24. Matthew 1 24, notice that. Then Joseph, after this angel's dealt with him, after this angel's announcement that he's going to be the father of, of, of this Christ child, notice what he says. Then Joseph being raised from sleep did as he did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. 
and took unto him his wife. Hold on a second. Boy, that is a powerful, that may be the most important verse in that text. Joseph did what God said do. It doesn't get much more plain than that. He had thought about it, no doubt. He maybe thought there for just a split second in verse 18 and 19. He might have thought about putting away his wife. He might have thought about divorcing her and saying, you know what, she's not been faithful. And then the announcement of the angel that, hey, inside Mary's womb is been conceived of the Holy Ghost. This woman is bearing the Christ child. Joseph's attitude changed, though he may have been, you know, like what in the world's going on? How in the world is this happening? By verse number 24, He arose and said, this is of God, and I'm going to do it. Church, God's not interested in your credentials, your experience. What he is interested in is your obedience. And if you fail to obey the Lord, let me tell you something, listen to me. If you fail to obey the Lord, you haven't even got the first base yet. If you don't obey the Lord, hey, this book right here, the Word of God, is not up for debate. Look at me. Some of you wake up. The Word of God is not up for debate. You say, well, pastor, I might debate what you say. You go ahead and debate what I say. But if it has something to do with the Word of God, there is no debating. We should just suck it up and obey it. Amen. Just say, God, this is a hard pill to swallow. I'm going to tell you right now, church, it's not easy. It's not easy. If you sit in there and think, well, I'm just going to obey the Lord and it's easy and everything's going to... I'm going to tell you right now, it's not easy. It's not always pleasant, but I'm going to tell you, the outcome is a whole lot more better than the alternative. You go ahead and try to do it your own way. Go ahead and try. Go ahead and try. What if Joseph would have said, no, Lord, I don't want to raise the Christ child. That woman's been unfaithful. I don't believe a word of this. Oh, listen, what a disaster. We've read story after story in the Bible of people who made their own decisions. Think about Samson. Samson had everything. The power of God rested on Samson, but guess what Samson's problem was? Him. He was the problem. He went against What the prophet said, he went against what God said, he went against what his father said, and he did it his own way. What did it cost him? It cost him his testimony, it cost him his eyes, it cost him his pride, and it eventually cost him his life. Let's determine this morning to be a Joseph. Can I get an amen?